Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where it seems as though everything goes wrong. I mean, you go from one day you've got the Midas touch where everything you touch turns to gold, and the next day you've got the Midas touch and everything you touch turns to mufflers. It's just a bad situation. I've had times and stretches in in my life where I thought, God, where are you? And I've had times where I felt like I have been sitting on his knee. I've had times when I felt like I was perfectly confident and who I was in Christ, and I've had times, even as a believer after all these years, where I've thought, Lord, I have no idea who I am. And we seem to walk and and wander our way through those times, which is part of what makes that last song so incredible, because we need something, we need some place to which we can return, an altar, if you will, that comes back and says, but I know who I am in Christ. I know who the divine has called me to be. I know exactly what he is calling from me and asking from me, and I know all he's done for me. But we all have those seasons, don't we? I mean, many of you are in the middle of one right now. I'd be willing to say 50% of the people that wind up in my office for some type of counseling assistance or encouragement, whether it's about a marriage or whether it's about a child or a parent, maybe it's financial or a job, I would say at least half of them in some shape, form, or fashion make this statement. I don't even seem to know who I am anymore. I don't really know who I am anymore. And you know, it's, it's a sad thing to get to the point where you have to say to yourself, you know, I'm not really sure who I am. So I thought, wouldn't it be fresh, wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, what does the Bible have to say about who I am and whose I am? So that tomorrow morning when Monday comes and the rat race hits, then all of a sudden I can come back to an altar and I can be keenly aware of who I am. Because the Bible is abundantly clear. Now, this puts in front of you what you believe about the Bible. Folks ask me all the time, what kind of church is Sugar Hill Church? And we answer the same way, way, week after week after week. We believe that the Bible is a very big deal. From Genesis all the way to the maps at the end of the book, that it's rhyme and it's reason, it's direction, it's correction. It is God's roadmap for our life. It is his love letter to his kids that says, do this. This is how you'll prosper. This is how you will enjoy this journey. This is how you will find peace in the middle of a storm. But if you believe that, then the second thing that we believe is that Jesus is the biggest deal in the world. When we get his relationship in our life right, when we get his priorities and our priorities combined, we won't have to wonder what the answers are to all of the social questions. We'll have them. And if if you believe the Bible's a big deal, and if you believe Jesus is the biggest deal, then inevitably what we will do is we will serve people in our community and around the world. I was so thrilled to see at middle school camp this past week, I saw kids come alive in Christ. We saw about 20 kids come to faith in Christ this past week at middle school camp. And then I I watched our team over at Peachtree Village where they had a vacation Bible school for about 300 families, Hispanic families in the trailer park just around the corner from the church. And you bought a a trailer in there that's being refurbished and it will have after school programs. 
And our local school system is giving us children in that community starting in first grade and even before first grade. And our desire is over the next 12, 13 years to get to the point that children that start with us this fall will literally graduate with us instead of being a dropout and we'll assist them to get to their first semester of college because a church said, we want to help be a part of the solution in our community. Thank you for being that kind of church. You see, I really believe that when we get these priorities right in our life, we can find out who we are, and we can understand who we are. And as Hector sang, as he spoke so well about, we can return back to an altar and understand where we're to be. But for us to, to grasp that, we have to first stop and wonder, do I really know who I am? Do I really have a grip on who I am? It seems as though we do pretty good with who I am when everything is well. When money's good, when the marriage is good, when the kids are good, when the parents are good, all that is well. When the job is well, when the health is good, we, we feel like we kind of know who we are. And then a crisis hits. And the doctor says you've got cancer. And then a crisis hits and, and your spouse says, I don't love you anymore. And then a crisis hits and the school calls and said your kid got, got caught smoking weed. And then a crisis calls and you lost your job. And all of a sudden, we start wondering, who are we? Well, I found it pretty interesting that Scripture is abundantly clear with who we are. And it starts with this one big statement. We're going to rest most everything we talk about today from this one statement, 1 Peter chapter 2. So look in your table of contents in your app or on your device or in the Bible that you have and find the book of 1 Peter in chapter 2 in verses 9 and 10. Because the first thing I want us to grasp and understand is that you have been chosen by the divine. God chose you as his first draft pick. You were the apple of his eye. God picked you. Now you might say, well, Chuck, no, there is no way that God looked at me and my mess and said, I want you. I remember playing Red Rover, Red Rover, send so-and-so right over as a kid in vacation Bible school. You know you'd get arrested for playing that game today? Because we clothesline some dudes, man. I mean, like your hands were down here, and then he'd come over, and you'd raise them up, and it was like, ah. That was awesome. But have you ever noticed when you're picking Red Rover, Red Rover? There's always, you're always picking the right team. Like, you never are going to pick that girl that's 5'2 and 112 pounds because she ain't rovering. Like when she comes running, she's gonna, you're gonna sling her all the way back to the other side. And you, you want the guy that's like 5'8 and 212 and he's nine years old. That's the kid you want, right? Because when you say Red Rover, Red Rover, and you send that dude right over, he's cleaning house. I mean, really, this is a bowling ball in action. And you know what, when you see him coming, everybody just lets go, whoop, nope, gone, we're good. But think about this. God picked you. It's like you, you haven't even learned how to play kickball yet, and he drafted you number one off the board with the first draft of the NFL. I picked you. The divine who created this world, the, the God who sustains all of life, looked at you and said, I want them. I want her. I want him. And you might be saying today, but... Clearly, God didn't know what I did last night. Sure, he did. But he'd already, he's already picked you. He picked you and he knew you. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, he had a plan for you. Plans that you might succeed wildly. Plans that you might prosper from incredibly. God picked you. Look at what the scripture says. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, it says, 
but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, and now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. I look at that and I think to myself, the Lord must have been on a coffee break when I got picked. I mean, what a mess my life has been. I think to myself, how on earth did it take so long, Chuck, to figure out that you wanted to walk with God? How many fortunes did you have to lose, including everything to determine that nothing mattered but the presence of God? How many heartaches with children do you have to experience before you realize they're his kids first? And I think to myself, he picked us. I want you to think about that. The God of all creation looked down and said, I pick you, Glenn. I need this dude to work at CVS for 112 years as a pharmacist. I pick you. And we all said, that's awesome. Look at there, Glenn, what a good guy. And then he, he goes over there and he looks at Trey Mayfield and he said, and we'll put up with him too. He's such a great guy. He's going to be perfect for this. We go across the room. He said, I'm going to pick Leisha. She's going to be great for this. And you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror and you thought, what a mess. And God said, you're my kid though. Let's go work on this mess. Let's make a bigger mess. Come on, this is going to be great. I've told you this story before, but it's, it sticks with me so much on the question, who are you? But my, my daughters, my mom would come and help keep my girls, and um, it would be in the morning, and we'd both have a cup of coffee, and mom was, uh, she wasn't a skinny girl. And uh, she would hear on that little baby monitor, the girls start wrestling. And she'd get up as fast as she could, and she'd waddle to the back of the house as fast as she could, and all the way to the back, she'd be saying, they're up, they're up, we're going to play, they're up. I mean, the whole time I'm thinking, dear God, let them stay asleep. Please let them stay asleep. <laughs> and Mom would grab it, gather up those babies, and she'd get in the floor, and she'd make Barbie ponytails and change clothes, and she had an endless amount of patience with them. She chose to be there for them. You say, well, Chuck, what does that have to do with me? Watch this. When you awoke this morning, the God who spoke fish and fowl, land and sea, sky and ground, the God who created Adam and Eve, he was waiting on you to wake up, and he said, come on, let's, let's play today. You're my kid. And he gets in the floor with us, and he gets to the office with us, and he gets in the car with us, and he says, I can't wait because I picked you. The God of all creation picked you. Now, there are some of you sitting here thinking, of course he did. I mean, come on. Who wouldn't put me? And then there are a lot of you that thought, why in, why in heaven would he pick me? Because he knew everything about you. He created you. He knows you. Listen to this. 
God chose you because he loves you with an unstoppable, unshakable love. He chose you because he loves you. But I'm not, I'm not talking about love like an emotion, like a goo-goo eyes. I'm talking unshakable, unstoppable, not, never-ending love. You cannot do anything to make God not love you. You can't make him not love you. I, I, I really can't fathom that kind of love, but I know how, how incredibly stupid I've been with my life. And yet this morning, that same God was like, let's go play, Chuck, come on. You're my boy, come on, let's go. Listen to what Paul writes to Ephesians, to the Ephesians in chapter one. He says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And that's when you said, that's how I knew he didn't pick me. I got plenty of fault. But look at the text again. Before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now that tells me two things. One, Christ Jesus was there at the beginning. And it tells me two, before I could do anything wrong, he still loved me with an unshakable, unstoppable love. I don't know about you, but when I look at the foolishness and terrorism going on in London or, or the things that happen probably across America that we don't even know about day after day, I think to myself, there is one cure for all of this to recognize that the divine has loved us and does love us with an unshakable, unstoppable love. He loves you because he chose you. He chose you because he loves you. But watch this. He also chose you because he cares for you more than you could ever care for yourself. Listen to what was written in the little book of Titus, chapter 3. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Now again, we see two incredible truths here. Now watch this. He says, because of his grace, he made us right. In whose eyes? In God's eyes. Now this is the beauty of grace. Grace is nothing you can buy. It isn't anything you can barter for. It's nothing you can be good enough to earn. Grace is only grace when grace is unexpected. If I expect it, it's not grace. If it's given and unexpected and unearned, it is most certainly grace. And the scripture is saying, I want you to know people that God, because of his grace, chose to make us right in his eyes. Why? Listen to the rest of the text. So that we might have confidence that we will inherit eternal life. The scriptures are pointing to us, and this is why the Bible is such a big deal in our life, that in those moments where you're wondering, who am I? You can look at this and say, no, wait a minute. God chose me. He chose me because he loves me with an unshakable, unstoppable love, and he chose me because he cares for me more than I could ever care for myself that what he did was he saw his creation in a mess. He saw our selfishness. He saw our sinfulness. He said, but I love them with an unshakable, unstoppable love. And so he sent his own son to die for us, to allow his blood to be shed for our sinfulness and our selfishness. And he said, and you can choose him and receive by faith and by grace alone Christ alone so that you might have life and you might have it eternally. This is a love that we cannot humanly comprehend. He's saying, I chose you 
because I love you. I chose you because I care for you. But you know what else I realized when we studied how do you know who you are? You belong to the God of all creation. He literally owns you. You are his possession. Now you might say, well, Chuck, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody owns me. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. That might make you a self-made fool. Because you see, what we know is this. All good things have come from the heavenlies. All advancement has come from the king. All things of wonder have come from the creator. Every sustenance of life has come from God himself. We belong, we are his possession. If you look back at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, what does the text say? You are God's very own possession. He has created us, and he has even gone further to ensure that he pays for us. The Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 7 puts it this way. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. Three words here that are absolutely amazing. Leave it up for a minute, guys. He says, for you're a holy people who belong to the, say the next word with me, Lord. Say a little louder, Lord. Now, this word that is written and placed in this text is keenly placed with the understanding that if you are Lord of something, you are over something. You are the authority over something. You own something. The text there literally could read, for you, chosen by God to live a holy life, belong solely to our God. Of all the people on earth, say it with me again, the Lord. your God has, watch this, chosen you to be his own, are you ready for this? Special treasure. If there were a map with an X on the end of it and where you arrived to find treasure, God the creator found it in your heart. When you became the apple of his eye, when you became his first draft choice, in the moment when you were at your worst and he was at his best, he picked you and said, you are my special treasure. He looked at you this morning and said, I know you don't think you're special. You may not think you're a treasure, but in my eyes you are, and I created you. I know you best. I am, be, I am your Lord that has called you to this holy life. You are so special to me that you are my treasure. You are a hidden treasure, a special treasure to be hidden no more. You are to open up that chest and let the glory of the Lord shine from you because you are a special treasure. He chose you because he loves you. He chose you because he cares for you. He chose you as the God of all creation. And then listen to this. The divine says that he has placed great value on you. Luke writes in his gospel account in chapter 12, look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For God feeds them and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. You know what you are? You are a treasure. You are valuable 
You are a child of the Most High God. You are an image bearer of the Most High God. You are his own prized possession. You are loved with an unshakable, unsinkable love. It cannot go away. When you woke up this morning, according to Psalm 121, a God who never slumbers, who never sleeps, was standing right there and said, come on, let's go play today. And you know what you got to do? Let's do it. Some of you put on shorts and flip-flops, and some of you put on three-piece suits, and some of you didn't look in the mirror when you should have. (laughs) And some of you spent too much time there. And the Lord was saying, come on, let's go play. If I could pick one thing, if I could just pick one thing, that every single person is a part of Sugar Hill Church, Sugar Hill Church or, or watching online. Or if I could pick one thing, you could say, Chuck, what one thing would you want everybody to know this morning? I'd want you to know this one thing. That God the Creator, the Heavenly Father, the Holy of Holies, the Sustainer of all life, looked at you this morning and said, you can choose to be my kid. I will never forget in my adult life when I finally understood this one thought. Chuck, as messed up as you are, as as many stupid decisions as you've made with your life, you are a child of the most high God. You are God's boy and his son is your savior and invites you into the family and adopts you in as if you were a child of the king. You say, well, why would you want me to know that? So you could live like it, love like it, and lead like it. You see, the Lord wasn't playing around. He, he looked at you and he thought, that you're perfect for this. You're exactly what I want you to be. I've got, a, I've got an incredible purpose for you. He looked at old Ron McCulsey down here and said, I'm going to use you to do some crazy cool stuff. And Ron's family said, really? You belong to the God of all creation. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said that the divine paid for us. In 1 Corinthians 7, 23, it says, God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. I I, I get it. Nobody wants to admit that we're a slave to anything. I mean, that, that, that whole word conjures up so many awful things. But one of the things I know that I know that I know is we're all slaves to something. And all of us are most certainly slaves to sin. But have you ever noticed that in our humanity we like to rank those sins? Have you ever found that there are some people who, at the top of the list of the sins they hate, are are like three or four different things? And have you ever noticed it's not their things? Like, seriously, I I know, I have have a dear friend, and, and this guy, I'm telling you, if you bring up anything about gay people, he goes off the wall. Here's what's weird. He's also an alcoholic. Really? Come on. Really? I know folks who go just bat crazy over people that drink, but they cuss like a sailor. 
I, I know men who are cheating on their wives, but they get angry because people don't give to the church. Here's the great news about God our Creator. He's not ranking your sin. He is listing your name in the family quarterly. God is not looking at the degree of sin because he's already said we've all come short of his design for perfection. We, we blew it. Unless we feel like, yeah, but Chuck, listen to me. Let me tell you, those people, now there's a special place in hell for those people. You know, you really can't make a biblical case for that, right? Because if that's the case, we're all those people. Like if you're here today and in your heart it's filled with racism and bigotry, can I tell you, man, you're going to be miserable when you get to heaven and your next door neighbor doesn't look like you or talk like you or walk like you. And yet when Jesus walks down those gold streets, he looks over and high-fives him and looks at you and says, come on, what's up? I wonder if times if we just have forgotten that God, God didn't give us the, the job of ranking sins. He simply said, come be my kid, and why don't you live with me, and then you'll stop worrying about every other, every other person's sin. You'll worry about your own. Because you see, once, once the Creator has chosen us, then he said, I've, I've sent Jesus so that he can die for you and shed his blood for you so that you can have forgiveness of all your sins, and I'm going to leave with you the Spirit of God so that he can guide you and direct you and correct you so that you might live more in line with me and in love with me. Jesus was pretty clear, wasn't he? What's the most important thing? Love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and love other people as you love yourself. And there were no ands or buts inside the contract. God picked you, but guess what? God picked that guy that you don't think is as good as you. God picked you, but he, he picked that family down the street that you wish had not moved into your neighborhood. God picked you, but he also picked that guy that's an alcoholic that lives behind you. God picked you, and listen to me, God picked you even when he knew you weren't as good as those people with an unshakable and unstoppable love. He chose you because you are a person that he has showered mercy down upon. Scripture says that the Lord is so gracious that he gives us new mercies every day. You know what I've come to understand what new mercies every day really look like? They come in three forms. They come in this form. They come in the form of grace because it's unexpected, unearned, and undeserved. It comes in the form of true mercy because the divine looked at us in our mess and said, I still love you. I want the best for you. It's in there. Come on and walk with me. Don't walk away from me. I have special treasure invested in you. Come on, let's live. Grace and mercy and the one that I have to live on, forgiveness. Isn't it beautiful that when God forgives us, it is not one of those, I'm sorry, kind of things. Have you ever been in an argument with your spouse or, 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 or a sibling or maybe somebody at church or whatever, and then somebody finally does this? Okay, I'm sorry. Doesn't that just ooze authenticity to you? I mean, when somebody's like, fine, I'm sorry too. I mean, that's just it's so loving, isn't it? This is why the scriptures say that 
when God forgives us, he takes it and he throws it behind him as far as the east is from the west. You see, the north and the south, they have a starting and a stopping point we call the north and the south pole. The east and the west has no such thing. So when God throws those away, his forgiveness is forever. Throw this away. When a woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus and, and all of the religious church folks are ready to start throw, throwing and chucking stones at this lady, he says, stop. No, 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 no. He said, any of you who were without sin, you throw the first rock. And what they do? They dropped the rocks. They, they walked away. And Jesus looked at her. And, and literally, these were the words he said, go and do that sin no more. Forgiveness. You see, when mercy and grace and forgiveness are at the heart of what we, what we live and breathe, we know who we are. If you go back to the original text in 1 Peter, the 10th chapter or the 10th verse in, in chapter 2 says, once you've received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. You got the best of the best. All three of these essentials, mercy, grace, forgiveness, all of them are designed for you. And then finally, as if you needed one more thing, God chose you to be royalty. He, he, he said, you are royal. You. And think about that. Rusty, he picked you to be a royal. And I'm even thinking, what in the world? Come on, I know him. And he said, yeah, I got a king, I got a, I got a, I got a scepter, I got a crown, I got a robe. It's, it's got a Chevy logo on the back of it for him. It's going to be super cool. You know why I, I know that's the case? Listen, go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 in the ninth verse. You are royal priests. You're a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Well, Chuck, I, I can't possibly be royalty. Just look at the mess in my life. Who in heaven's name would pick me to be royal? The creator of heaven, the creator of earth, the creator of you. He picked you to be a royal. Now, that means that all of us are in one of two categories. Either one, we're in desperate need of becoming a royal. I want to be a part of the royal family. I want to sit at the head table. I want to sit with the grown-ups. I want all the blessing and the goodness of God. I want to know where I'm going to go when I die. I want to know how I can live a life that is genuinely filled with mercy and forgiveness and with grace. And then there's another group that you, you joined the royal family years ago, but you forgot. You forgot what it's like to live as a royal. You've been, you've been living in, in the slums while you were supposed to be living in the palace because you forgot that it's not about the palace, it's about the king. It's not, it's not about his building, it's about your heart. It's not about those people, it's about you. It's, it's not about what I get, it's about what he's given. It's not about what I can do, it's what he's done. Living the life of a royal in the life of the king of kings and the lord of lords says it is all on him. He's done it all so that you can have it all. And all we have to do is ask. You say, well, Chuck, I, that's what I want. Well, listen, friend, if you really have to stop and know who you are, let's build an altar right now. Let's build an altar that says, wait a minute, I've been chosen by the divine. He picked me. And, and please don't forget, listen, there is not a person here or online that God didn't pick. He picked you.
He chose you. He, he said, I want you to belong to me. I'll pay for you anything it costs. I gave my son's life for you. I'm here to shower down on you mercy and grace and forgiveness. And you're to live the life of a royal, a child of the most high God. Listen, friend, the King of kings, the Lord of lords is knocking on the door of your heart and saying, won't you come and choose the one that chose you? Won't you choose to live the life of a royal because I am your God and you are my people, a holy people? Listen, friend, at the end of the day, God never has to force, intimidate, or beg anybody to come into the kingdom. All he wants is for you to say, Lord, I trust you. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying for me and raising me from the dead to payment for my sin. I want to turn my life around. I want to live for you. I'm tired of living for me. Clean me up. Make me new. And not according to me, not according to Sugar Hill Church, not according to some Bible story, simply according to Jesus and Jesus himself. When we mean business, that Bible story becomes the real deal. And he says he'll come into our heart and make us new. And he'll leave us the gift of his spirit to give us direction, guidance, encouragement, and love. My friend, isn't today the day to build your altar? Isn't today the day to build that altar? Maybe you need to return to an altar. Maybe you need to build an altar. Maybe you need to find an altar. But my friend, whatever you do, don't leave here today without him because you've been chosen by the Most High God. Father, thank you for the privilege and the joy and the honor of just sharing the truth of what your word has to say. We know it never returns void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. So, Lord, in this time, as we gather to build an altar, would you give us the, the joy and the honor of living like royalty in your kingdom? In the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord, we pray all these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.